Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So on today's episode, we have Lauren Williams. She's a certified financial planner, uh, student loan debt, uh, uh, you know, advisor, uh, past Olympian, uh, right, Andressa? How many, yes, how many, how has, many medals does, did she uh, get? She has three medals. Yeah. So an Olympian athlete, I just, just in and of itself is so cool. But anyway, we, we really enjoyed our time with her. She actually talked about what she actually learned and got from that experience as an, as an Olympian and how she uses that now as a professional financial planner and a student loan uh, you know, advisor. I think what was really cool about the interview, amongst all her tips and you know, uh, you know, strategies she shared, most of us think of student loan debt as one thing, right? You got to pay it off. It's an issue. Get it taken care of. She really talks through the process, though. Is it something, depending on the interest rate, can you pay it off aggressively? Can you forgive some of it? Can you refinance it? Just like we do with real estate. So really, she really got my wheels turning about all the different options, which I honestly never thought of all those options. So that was really cool you know, for her to go through that. Yeah. And it, it's all tied up to real estate, right? So you might be thinking, why are we talking about student loan? Because a lot of the ladies that are listening have that financial bag of rocks that they <laughs> carry and, and that might prevent them to buy their first property or scale because they need to pay that in a monthly basis. So we also talk about financial knowledge. What you need to know and do at the beginning of your investment um, process in order to set yourself for success in terms of savings, emergency funds, or how Liz like to call the financial freedom fund. <laughs> so this is a very important topic to talk about and it has everything to do with real estate because it's about finances. So if you don't like finances, if you don't like to talk about money, this is the right episode for you. <laughs> so enjoy the episode. And as always, let us know what you think and what other uh, subjects you want to hear from us too. Enjoy. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are on a big mission to support women living a financially free and balanced life. And whatever balance means to you, I always like to say yeah. that. 
So we have Lauren on the show today, Lauren Williams. She's going to be talking about a bunch of cool things around financial planning and loan, debt, all that good stuff, all the fun stuff we'd like to talk about. But um, welcome to the show, Lauren. It's so good to be on. I'm excited to chat with you all today. Yeah, Lauren's got a podcast herself and, and a growing practice. We're going to get into her story in a moment and just giving you some really neat um, tips on, on how to think about debt, student debt, and also student loan debt, and also how to translate that to how you can be prepared to invest in real estate. So we'll get there in a moment, but as we like to do, right, Andressa? Yeah, what's going on? What's get, cooking? Get connected. What's cooking? Always something cooking here, you know? <laughs> Too many things cooking. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I want to talk about journaling for a moment. Okay. So I've always wanted to journal. I've always heard journaling's good, but you know, just never journaled. I don't know how else to say it. I'll write down what I'm grateful for. But so on our mastermind, as you know, you're part of with me, uh, another friend and our, uh, another colleague and, and I were saying, we really want to start journaling. So I said, all right, yeah. I'll hold you accountable. You hold me accountable, you know, which is always awesome. So she texted me, did you journal yet? You know? And I said, no. So I was like, all right, I got to really do this. So I, so that evening or that morning, excuse me, the next morning I got up and I'm like, I think why I don't journals, I don't know what to say. Am I writing a memoir? I'm not a writer. Like it's so I always struggled with it. So I Googled it, of course, when you don't know what to do, how do you journal? Like a moron. I'm just Googling <laughs> How do you journal? I'm like, oh, I'll have to see something that will help me like a complete moron. I know this is writing. This is not complex, but I love the article I wrote and I wanted to share some tips with the women listening. He said, he said, it's not a memoir. It's not supposed to be this well-written thing. It's really about, it's a self-improvement tool. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, I like that. Okay, now I'm in, you know? He said, there's three things you can write. Obviously, you can write about your activities. He can write about, you can write about the decisions you have to make. And you can also write what scares you. So I'm like, that's awesome, you know, because there's things that I'm thinking through right now that do scare me a little bit or I'm worried about. And I woke up this morning, two days in a row, doing well. And I wrote down some things I'm worried about and just writing it. I'm like, I know this seems so like, hello, Liz, the people who have been listening are like, yeah, don't you know, this is how it works. But I feel really therapeutic. I, you know, just writing it down, getting it on paper, um, feeling like you're not in your head about it. I think that was really powerful. And then um, going through like decisions I'm thinking through, cause I can waver sometimes. So I'm really using it as a self-improvement tool. I've never thought of it that way. I always thought of it like this memoir and I have to be well-written. I'm like, and I just never did it, you know? So I just want to share those tips. If you're struggling like me with journaling, uh, try those approaches and that might give you some, a theme to go off of. That's awesome. You want to hear a funny story? Did you start journaling too? (laughs) No. So I started journaling when I was 14. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not and you're only way. 21, so that was six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, but it was not with that intention, right? It was just to talk about how my day went and what was going on. Mm-hmm. It's just like pretty soon I woke up at 6.30 and I have breakfast and la, 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 la. But then I remember that I started, you know, liking boys and talking about that there. And I didn't Mm. want my mom or my dad to know. So I created a code. (laughs) I created a code, an alphabetical code. Wow. And I will write in that freaking code. And another day, my sisters found this journal in Brazil. And she's like, what the hell is this? It's like so many codes and we can't understand it. I was like, neither do I. I throw it out. What could I do with that? Oh my gosh. But it is. I, but nowadays, I totally agree with you. It, you know, in my, in my experience, I, I ask questions. So like, what, what should I do in this situation? Should we do this? Should we do that? Because I think in the future, what I'm more, most interested is how did I make that decision? How did I come mm. with, with, come out with that decision? And I always think about, you know, Lorenzo, my son, reading it and, and being like, oh, that's what was going on with her at that moment. And, and this is what she did and that type of thing. So I always think about like, what's going to happen in the future mm. and how can I look back and say, oh, that I was feeling like that that time. Interesting. So, that is interesting. You know, but very short. I don't write, don't have the time to write like two a lot. pages as before. No. Yeah. And definitely don't have time to create a freaking code. 
No, <laughs> that's really cute. I like that. That doesn't surprise me you did that. Um, it should be incredibly time consuming. I'm just thinking about like every letter having its own like other thing. Exactly. <laughs> so stupid. No. Uh, I love it. Well, take some action, ladies, because journaling can be really therapeutic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on. I'll report on my uh, findings. Um, Good. So Lauren, without further ado, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Um, love what you're up to and love the work you're up to. So for the ladies listening, how did you get involved in financial planning? And then more importantly, because financial planning is a, is a big area, I would imagine. Um, how did you get focused on really helping people through their, through their student loan debt? And, and, there's, and what is that? You know, how did you get into that per se? Yeah, so I was basically 20 years old and running track at the University of Miami and had a breakout season where I ended up becoming a professional athlete. So that was not a goal or a dream of mine. Um, it was something that kind of just fell into my lap. And immediately I went from like having to live off a thousand bucks a month as a college student to, you know, earning a six figure income as a professional athlete. And I realized very quickly that I didn't have the literacy necessary to be uh, responsible with those funds. So I was like, well, what do I do? And I hired someone. Hmm. Um, well, there's all kinds of different financial people out there in the world now. And I didn't hire the right kind of financial person for what I was looking for. So uh, there are not a lot of people that focus on literacy and baseline things, like you said, debt management and stuff like that. Um, so I fired that guy, hired another guy that didn't go better. And I was basically like, okay, I got to figure out something else. Like this is not working. You know, where do you get information if you want to be financially responsible, but you can't figure it out. And podcasts were still a little bit, you know, new back then. So I'd mostly been reading blogs and things, trying to educate myself. Um, and I came across the certified financial planning as um, an option. And I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. This sounds a lot more comprehensive about all aspects of your finances. Whereas, you know, there's like people generally say like, oh, financial stuff, investing. Like it's like, there's so much more in a finance than just investing you know that's sure a part there's. of the puzzle mm -hmm. um so i started my own company and was super excited about it and my very first client came to me and she had uh, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt mm -hmm. and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of income so i'm like six figures in your 20s that's awesome single <laughs> like and then you got like this big fancy house that you can't live in <laughs> And, oh, by the way, the, the certified financial planning coursework didn't teach me anything about that. So I was like, mm. I'm so excited to have my first client. Oh, no, I have no <laughs> idea how to help her. <laughs> so I started to do tons and tons of research. I ran into a young lady named Heather Jarvis, um, trained under her for quite a while. And then I bumped into Travis, who's the owner of Student Loan Planner, um, invited him on my podcast to talk more about student loans. I was like, gosh, this guy's brilliant. Um, and he had done his research on me and realized that I was like, uh, under Heather because the student loan community is very small experts mm. finding experts in student loans is kind of like finding a needle in a haystack mm. um, so there's a small community of us we got together and I didn't look back so I still run my own company where I help people organize their own finances but um, I also kind of side hustle with Travis about 20 hours a week uh, helping people like you said doing a 60-minute consultation understand their student loan situation and how best to attack it wow there's so many things that I want to ask you, but on top of everything that she said, um, she also owned two, two properties. Yes. Yeah. So I have a property in Florida um, that has like a traditional oh. renter in it. And then I have a property in Texas that I Airbnb. Wow. And, and <laughs> when she said, ladies, that she was an athlete, we're not talking about somebody that is just like running here and there. Tell us about that story. What did you become? <laughs> so I am a four-time Olympian. Um, I am the first American woman to earn a medal in both the summer and the winter Olympics. Uh, so three of my Olympic ventures were for track and field. Um, I was a sprinter, 100-meter runner. And then one Olympics was as a bobsledder, two-person, two-woman bobsled. Oh, wow. I want to try that so badly. <laughs> you can go to Park City, Utah, and they have passenger rides. Really? Yes. <laughs> Here we go. So there's so many things I want to ask you because I don't think we've ever interviewed an Olympic athlete. So, <laughs> so let's go there first. All right. I want to circle back on the student loan debt because I think that is something a lot of women struggle with, especially like you said, the women who are making good money, they might be professionals uh, and they have the student loan debt. And it's like this constant, do I put the money there? Do I put the money in a property? And how do I manage all that? Even just mm -hmm. that conversation. So I want to go there. We'll go there. So 
you're the first woman to to get both the summer and winter. Um, you've won how many Olympic Olympic medals? Three medals, two Three silver medals. and one gold. Right. So one is probably really hard. I don't no idea. Right. I played high school tennis. I mean, what do I know? Um, what did you learn through all that that you are taking in your professional world? You know, as a as a as a business owner, as a financial planner, as an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience? What did you take from that? Like, what did you get from that whole, like the, the t- like that is the top of the top of, of, of being an athlete, right? Winning an Olympic medal. That's like, that's it. <laughs> um, and you won, you got three of them. So I'm just curious, like, what did that whole experience teach you? Or did you learn? What, the, what was the takeaways for you? Yeah, I would say if I had to sum up like the three major things that transfer over, you know, that that were skills I learned in sports that have transferred over into life, one would be perseverance. So just the idea of like some days you get kicked in the face Um, as a business owner, people don't want, you know, to be your client or you lose a big client, whatever the case may be, like you are on this constant roller coaster that you cannot get off. (laughs) And to show up every day, even when things don't go well, I think is a big deal because in track and field, that's pretty much how it is. You know, some days you lose the race, some days the workout kicks your butt and you're super sore the next day, but continue to show up um, is a, is like half the battle. Um, the other thing is I, I would say is like not just being a good winner, but also being a good loser mm. um, because winning is the thing that we all love to do, but losing is, is not fun for anyone. Um, so how to be, how to be a, a loser, but gracefully and um, with poise and things like that. Uh, understanding, mm. you know, okay, I, I just want what's best for you as the client. So if this is not a good fit for you, you know, mm. best, best of luck over here or here's some other resources, et cetera. Um, And then the third thing would just be the discipline, Uh, creating schedules, creating, um, you know, structure in a way that is going to allow me to be able to succeed. Uh, So, you know, you had to do a certain amount of practices in order to, you know, get to a good competition. You had to go to a certain amount of competitions in order to, you know, be be ready for the championship, be race sharp. Um, And I kind of approach my uh, financial life in the same way, very much with discipline. It's not that you don't make mistakes, but you know, you keep creating those habits, you keep doing those things and you have to have some sort of structure and plan in place. I feel the same way for real estate. All, all of, you know, the thought priorities that you just pointed out can be translated to, to real estate. And the most important thing, you know, when Liz and I talk or we're talking to somebody that's getting started in real estate, one of our first questions is, and will always be, where are you at financially? Mm-hmm. Right? Your, your, your expenses, your income, what do you need now? Do you need capital? Do you need cash flow? And sometimes the question that we get is like, oh, what should I do? Should I invest in apartment complexes? Should I flip? Should I wholesale? That's not the first question. You yeah. got to understand what is your financial state because if you don't build a solid foundation, it just crumbles. Exactly. So because poop is going to hit the fan at some right. point in some <laughs> form or fashion. So, and yeah. it's going to come back in your face. Mm-hmm. Sorry to tell you that, but it, it really does. So let's go there. Many of the ladies that... Uh, are listening here graduated a long time ago in school mm-hmm. and still carried this heavy bag of rocks <laughs> uh, that's how i feel i don't have student loans so i can't i can't but i can't imagine right but that bag of rocks really it, it takes energy of course the financial it goes every single month the the, the money goes there it sometimes is discouraging because they don't see the end the light at the end of the tunnel so for those ladies that do have student loan where they should start thinking in order to get out of it what they what should be their first step Yeah, the first thing you need to be thinking about is um, how realistic is it for me to pay it off? So a lot of people are just like, I hate it. I don't want to deal with it. And they stick their head in the sand. 
Um, now, there's two ways to go about paying student loans. One is as quickly as humanly possible, as aggressively as humanly possible to get it off your plate. Um, and then the other side of that is to pay as little as possible, um, which means you would be going for some sort of forgiveness. Um, now, there's two types of forgiveness. There's public service loan forgiveness, and then there's also taxable forgiveness. Um, now, you need to be thinking about, like, am I in the pay it off boat or am I in the forgiveness boat? So figuring out that one way or the other is going to be step number one, because if you're in the pay it off boat, you're hurting yourself by not paying it off, by, by paying slowly. Um, and it's really based on your income. So we say if you have 1.5 times, if your debt is 1.5 times your income, um, then you're likely a candidate for um, the, the taxable forgiveness. So um, it's not hard and fast. We have a very nice calculator that helps, you know, figure that out. But, you know, just as a baseline. So if you have 1.5 times the whatever you make as debt, then most likely you could probably make, make it 20 or 25 years, get some forgiveness, um, you know, barring your income not going up dramatically over the next couple of years. Um, the other boat is, let's say, you know, you owe 50,000 and you make 50,000. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot, like it's like a whole year of my salary is what I owe in debt. But um, realistically, you know, it's over a 10 year period that they're breaking that down and it should be something that's affordable for you to be able to pay off. So, you know, we generally people that have less than $50,000 of debt are in the boat of pay it off. Um, once you get over 50,000, that's when you need to take a closer look at it. But once again, one to one ratio. So if you make $100,000 a year, and you have 100,000 of debt, you're probably still in the pay it off boat. What's your thought process? Because I think this is a debatable um question or topic mm -hmm. around paying off the student loan debt. It probably, it probably depends on which camp a person is in. So having said that, yeah. um, you know, I have, I have X dollars, you know, 50,000, let's call it in student loan debt. And I have 50,000 in savings. So I can literally write a check, you know, for that, for that amount and say my interest rate is a certain, now that's probably going to depend on what my interest rate is. Mm -hmm. But I could take that 50 grand and pay down that student loan debt, or I could take that 50 grand and buy myself a rental property, right? Obviously, that wouldn't be 50. <laughs> You'd have to find a good market to do that. And there are markets, you know, it's another conversation. But let's make believe, you know, 50 grand all in, you do your down payment, you got money aside for, is you know, issues with the property, da, 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 da. So say it's just, you know, those sort of situation, what would you recommend? Or what are the questions? Cause it's not just a yes or no, right. but what are the, what's the thought process? Like the woman listening, right? I got money to pay off a loan, uh, a debt, or I can invest in real estate. What are the questions they should be asking themselves? What would you coach your, your clients to ask themselves to figure out what is that right choice and what's the best approach for me? Well, you're right on the right track too, is interest rate is going to be very important. So interest rates over 4% um, are generally interest rates that need to be refinanced to a lower rate. So in order to refinance to a lower rate, you're going to have to have good credit, which means, you know, you've already been doing some financially responsible things. Um, once you get below that 4% interest rate, then it's kind of one of those things where you could back off a little bit if you have an investment opportunity somewhere else. Like you want to continue to pay the minimum payment on time, et cetera. Um, you could still be very aggressive in getting that loan off your plate. So like I said, the more you throw toward it, the quicker it's done. Generally, uh, student loans come with a 10-year term. So you have 10 years to pay it off. You know, you're going to know what the payoff is, but if you get extra you know, go for it. So at the point at which you get less than 4%, you can start thinking about like, okay, well, I have extra funds. Maybe I'll do, you know, do something in real estate instead. Right. Um, but I would ask that person too, like, how did you get the 50K in the bank? Um, you know, you were doing some sort of Good saving, question. you know, if you got a windfall, now you, you know, we're kind of here at this fork in the road. But if you got that 50K, you were saving, 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 um, you know, maybe you should have been doing like 50% of what you were saving toward your student loans and 50% toward, so you might not have 50K in the bank right now, you might have 25 but also your student loans are $25,000 less. So you want to be kind of equally diverting money to both things. Like if I have funds and I've got my budget down packed and I know there's X amount of dollars that I can do something with, you know, where do I prioritize? And you right. can say, I want to do real estate and also be extra toward my loans. That's a good point. It is. So I, I, I recently came across different, different, I, I, I love to learn about finances and different ways of thinking. And um, one, one, one guru out there 
um, says that he he likes to be debt free and does not believe in credit cards, uh, not borrowing money or anything else. Not sure if I agree a hundred percent. I always think that we can leverage um, the funding and the options that that you have. But for for those folks that are, are out there, one thing that I agree with him is that he says you can start saving until you clear your uh, credit card debt because it's just like if you're saving and at the same time you're paying so much interest on on the credit card it just doesn't make financial sense so what's your take on credit cards because a lot of folks that are trying to pay their student loan at the same time sometimes their income is not enough and then they go into credit card and then use that to you know make ends meet sometimes that's the situation that they're they're going through so what is your take on the credit card uh subject specifically yeah so credit card debt like you said generally is what it is that you are spending more than you make um, that's where credit card debt comes from for everyone uh, the thing about credit cards too is they usually have double digit interest rates so yeah. credit card debt is far worse than student loan debt in the sense of you're, you're not going to usually find double digit interest rates unless you have some sort of private loan and in that case you should be trying to refinance it um, from a student loan standpoint so credit card debt is like the worst kind of debt i definitely would say to try to avoid it by all means like you said there are various reasons that people end up in debt at the point at which you decide okay i'm ready to tackle this i want to be out of this debt i'm trying to get my finances on track um you need to nail down your budget as a you know first priority find out how much money you have left over and then i would start to divert like i said i would still do a 50 50 so let's say you five five hundred dollars every month in your budget 250 extra towards your credit card debt, 250 towards savings, which like you said, it kind of goes against what some people are like, well, I have this debt. Why would I be saving? But if you don't have any emergency funds whatsoever, yeah. if something happens while you're trying to pay that debt off, what do you do? Go right back to the credit card. Absolutely. Yeah. And regarding the, the, that's exactly what, what the guy said. So the emergency fund, right? Um, he talks about having a six month um, emergency fund. So first you got to understand what are your expenses? So what do you recommend people to how to track their expenses? Cause sometimes it varies from month to month. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you, and I honestly, people don't have time to keep like, Oh, let me write this down. Let me write this yeah. down. Yeah. Forget <laughs> whatever. That is a thing of the past. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Do you have an app or something that you will recommend that is effective that people can track it and therefore, you know, mm -hmm. um, budget monthly in an effective way? Yeah. So there's a few things. So Mint is a free app that is pretty popular. Um, I don't love it, but it's free. So it usually wins when I start talking about the apps that are available because <laughs> people don't want to pay for things. <laughs> However, there's one called You Need a Budget that I think is a really good investment. So it's uh, $84 for the year. Um, which is like seven bucks a month. Um, and it is a lot more, it helps you drill down on like what it is that you're trying to do. There is a bit of a learning curve. And I think that's the thing that like, if you've gone from no budget at all to something that is going to, cause you to be accountable. I mean, we need to create that awareness around our spending. So it's important, but you also need to kind of dedicate yourself to, to learning it and understanding it so that you can create the budget and, and, and move forward. Um, now on a simpler level, if you're not ready for an app and tracking every single thing that you're doing, um, then I would try to bucket system. So you do get an old school sheet of paper or you can get a spreadsheet or, you know, a Microsoft Word document, whatever makes you happy and just go with what your basic expenses are. So here's my rent. Here's, you know, my car note. Here's my insurance, you know, all the things that I know are happening on a monthly basis, reoccurring that like are non-negotiables um, and find out what that number is. Everything that's left over is that discretionary pot. So, you know, nails done, uh, haircuts, all those different things. Like, you know, what are the things that I absolutely need? And then what's the money that like, uh, I could skip this if, it, if it's necessary. Take that pot of whatever's left over and put that in a separate account. So let's say we make $3,000 a month. Um, and you get to the end of this thing and you find out that 1500 of it is your bills, like the main bills that have to be paid, whether you got a job or not. One account for bills, one account for discretionary, and then a third account that's a savings account for um, putting money aside for an emergency. And then you just automate that. So 1500 into the bills account, 750 into the discretionary, 750 into savings. That's just an example. I'm making those numbers up. But mm -hmm. um, 
then it's already done. That, that savings is out of sight, out of mind. It's happening. Um, the money that's going into the discretionary account, when it's empty, you're done. Um, and you know that your bills are going to be paid. So that's one way to help you prevent overspending on a monthly basis. So for the emergency funds, how many months would you recommend? I would say if you, if you have credit card debt, like I would just get to one month. Um, so they, yeah, the general amount that you hear is three to six months. And I, I even go further and say not three to six months of expenses, but three to six months of income. That's mm -hmm. when you're in a really healthy place. Um, and that's take home pay. Because if you do three to six months of expenses, in the example we just had, 1500 are your expenses. So you just need three times that or 4500 But you're bringing home $3,000 every month. So that money is going somewhere. Those other, that money is being spent. So if some kind of poop hits the fan once again, you know, it's better to have $9,000 in the bank than it is to have $4,500 in the bank, right? Um, and then, you know, maybe have to give up something like fitness or therapy. You know, those are things that are, you know, kind of discretionary, but they're probably going to help your sanity in, in the event that you lose your job or, you know, you go long-term without something. You want to be able to keep a few of those little things that are, you know, going to help you through that tough time. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I would also say, if you are, if you're a current investor, you know how important this stuff is because, you know, sometimes you're, every month doesn't look the same. I mean, even if you are, you are getting rental income, we do, and not every month's the same. You know, we also pay quarterly. So I have to think about that, right? On a quarterly basis. So I know, I know my expenses to the penny. I mean, not to the penny, not that exact, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty good. Like I know our expenses and I know if it's going up or down. And, and the thing though is, you know, how do you reduce them? But also then how do you, you know, potentially bring more in. And it's a whole conversation. You have to be talking to your partner or yourself or people, you, you know, that you trust because it's when money fluctuates every month, I don't, we don't bring home a paycheck, you know, uh, by any means. We haven't for a very long time. Um, you have to really know your numbers and you have to know where you are and have those funds. I was like emergency for me to calling it an emergency fund. I just verbal, like the, the verbiage of emergency. I, I hate the term, you know, <laughs> like my, you know, my, my positive thinker in me is like, I hate that term, but um, what do you call it? I don't, you know, I always call it, I call it like a um, financial freedom account yes. because in essence in this, I got this from the millionaire mind intensive. It's really not, I didn't make it up. Anything that I do create is like, oh, I got that from someone, but um, it is, it's kind of like financial freedom. So I have money in there, like just in case money, but it, I, I call it as that because I know what we're doing is creating, we're creating, we're trying to create financial freedom, right? Financial, really wealth building. Yeah. So it's, it's that whole process. And that's why that money's there. If we need to pay an extra bill or something happens or the shit hits the fan or whatever happens. So but it's not called emergency. So when I go in my bank account, I see financial freedom. Yeah. But it is really the same thing, right? Mindset um, is a really big part of the process too. Right? So, yeah. What have you if found? If you don't want to call be, it that, then yeah, don't. I, I like financial freedom fund. What have you found to be when you work with your clients, like, you know, as we, as we segue into the mindset, right? Because, you know, putting money aside, paying down debt, right? These are, these are kind of things that people have been doing for years. This is not necessarily new, but when it comes to money, it gets very emotional mm -hmm. and it's very tough, right? It just, it's, it can be tough on a lot of ends or it could be fun. How do you make this whole process fun? Because I think so much of our, our, what we're hung up on, I know for me personally, because we've dealt with business debt over the years, um, is the feeling of it. And when you can release some of that and feel better about it and feel a little more, have grace with it, things start to happen. And when we fear it and when we beat ourselves up, why did this happen? And then you just ignore it, the problem compounds. So what have you helped your clients with, even the mental side? Because you've had to, I mean, you're the perfect person to coach people on that because of, you know, you're, you're an Olympian, uh, I would think. You there's know? freaking no excuse. Yeah, there's no excuse, like, right? I mean, I mean, you're the, you're the, you're the lady. I mean, you're it, right? If I want a financial plan, I'm going to go to you. <laughs> but, um, so what is that mindset? Have you, is it, have you helped coach your clients around, you know, exercise yeah. they can do or? It, it's very much verbal. It's one of those things where, like you said, what do I want to say? So, you know, we talk about like positive affirmations and things like that. Um, you know, what am I trying to accomplish? Oh, I want to be awesome at blah, blah, blah. What do, what do you want to do? I want to buy a real estate property in X amount of time. So when we're talking about, um, you know, maybe not spending $400 this month on your hair. Uh, instead of saying like, shame on you, how could you dare spend that much money on your hair? It's like, what's more important, $400 on your hair or real estate property? Okay, real estate property, 
all right, how can we be awesome at getting a real estate property? How can we get that money in the bank? Um, oh, maybe I could spend a little bit less money on my hair. You know, bring, bring in the client to where they can find and make choices. That's the other thing is like you said, I'm big on words. So I don't believe in making sacrifices. You're making a choice. Um, we're, we're not sacrificing things. We're, we're, we're deciding what we want for ourselves. Um, and we're taking power over this. We're taking responsibility for, for those yeah. funds. So, okay, this is what I want. I want a real estate property. Is it worth it to you to get, you know, a $200 hairstyle instead of a $400 hairstyle? Ooh, yeah. Uh, how, how did you look the last time you didn't get your $400 <laughs> hairstyle sort of thing? Um, you know, show me a picture. Like we, we go through these exercises of That's saying great. like, let's break it down and say like, okay, let's, why are we moving this money over here? Because this is important. And then it's like, I'm going to feel really awesome when I get this. And now I am X steps closer. And I make the client say that out loud. I'm closer. I'm $400 closer to my goal sort of thing. Because like you said, it's the same way you were talking about journaling earlier. When, when you write it down, you make it real. When you say it out loud to someone else, it's something that someone else heard. And so now it's very real and you can be held accountable for that. So Lauren, mm -hmm. you have clients and I'm sure are very diverse. So when, when you're looking at the pool, like what are the biggest challenges in my head? I'm thinking about sports, like discipline, the discipline and how can I change the my habit, my bad habits of spending or, you know, black Friday, come on. <laughs> I, that's not me. I can't, I come from Brazil. We don't have black Friday. I heard we have it now, but it's just fake. They just raise the price and then they reduce it. Not, not the same thing. You're not going to find me at on black Friday in any store in any that's, that's just not me. Cause I can't take the amount of people going in at the same time, but going back to my point, the bad habits or not bad, but the habits that prevent people to be financially free. How do you break that? You, you break it with education and by talking to people about where those habits come from. So I think you brought up a really good point. Like you said, I do serve a diverse client pool. And um, currently on my podcast, I'm doing a season on the racial wealth divide. Um, mm. And what I've, I've learned quite a bit about it myself, that there's some deep seated issues in mm. each culture that also leads to the various things that people are struggling with financially. So mm. it's not just a, I was brought up this way. That is a part of it, but it's also like, like my culture believes this thing or does this, or, you know, I'm the first one to go to college. So, um, you know, everybody is looking to me as like a big fancy sports player. You, you are the big fancy educated person in the family. Mm -hmm. um, now you got to pass that money back. And so where you wanted to achieve these goals, you're now having to disseminate these funds to all these different places and it's, it's, it's holding you back. Mm -hmm. So we're having conversations around, you know, how can you not let your family down, but also continue on the path that you want to? How can we divide those funds? How can we educate family members so that they can bring themselves up? Um, and, you know, and, and where can we create the boundaries? Because for some people, that's not a no. Like they're not going to say no to family period. Um, and we need to deal with that, be, be honest about it and, and say like, okay, well, in light of this information, what can we do to still reach our goals? So it's very much like a case by case, person by person. Um, how can we customize the situation? Um, but it's always, it's always a conversation that we need to have about, you know, where is this coming from? Why do you mm. feel like this? And, you know, what can we do to make you, you know, change your trajectory yeah it's the courage to have a, a conversation and if it is uncomfortable so it be is like sitting on that uncomfortable seat but moving forward and really standing for financial freedom that's the that's the main point i don't think that um as a society we have the habits to talking about the talking about money itself it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. so next generations hopefully will get over this. <laughs> well, I think that's what makes us so passionate. I mean, I'm sure there's a, um, you know, with, with regards to the racial wealth divide, I'm really curious to learn more about what you just said too, because it's, it's probably huge in terms of what the, the culture has, has an, an impact, not just my family, but, you know, how does that really play into my decisions and my choices? Then you get into the whole, you know, the, the, the men versus women wealth divide, right? The gender right? pay gap. The gender well, pay yeah. gap. That's a more better way of saying it than mm -hmm. what I just said. But yeah, the, you know, and then you get into that kind of like, you know, that's why what, what really fuels me and Andressa and interviewing just women for this show and saying, you, you know, 
Because women, you know, there is so many statistics against us in some ways. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go do this because this has nothing to do with being in corporate America. This is just, yeah. you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go earn that money because, um, you know, that's what I want to do. And I know I want to build that legacy. Um, but there's so much around it, right? It's not just as simple, um, you know, so, but that's what we're working through and why we're, you know, interviewing great women like you and just showing the, the, the landscape of, you know, all these women in different areas of this industry. Um, it's really important because we all, you know, we see ourselves in, in everyone and that's the key, you know, yeah. uh, we need, we need role models, more role models up on that stage talking yeah, about sure. this stuff, not just fashion, and how to put a pretty house together. No offense, that's part of investing, but no, how to go through the numbers and construction and, and I'm just talking about dealing with contractors. No, women can do that too. It's not just the fun, pretty stuff of, oh, do you do interior design? No, people are asking that. <laughs> like, no, I'm not good at that. I, I really am not. Look at my outfit today. Do I look like I'm good at that? <laughs> no. You know, a funny story. I have funny stories today. So Going I was tangent, on, sorry. I was on this conference, right? Um, not going to say labes or anything, but I was the only woman there uh, on this uh, panel. So the moderator came to me and he said, so he went to every single guy and he said, this is what I'm going to ask you and said to him. And then when he came to me, it's very sweet, but he got the wrong person. <laughs> so he came to me and he said, so Andressa, I am going to ask you how it is to be a woman in real estate. I was like, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> We're not going to talk about this. Did you ask the guy, how is it to be a man in a real estate world? No. So what I want to talk about is how can I help those, fo help those folks over here on the audience uh, managing their, their projects. I have five solid tips that I want to give it to them because that's my experience. If we were going to talk about gender issues here, then we are all going to talk about, yes. but I'm not going to be the one here only talking one. only one about this. No, I'm going to talk about my experience in real estate. And he looked at me like, Whoa. And I was like, yeah, I love you. Andressa. <laughs> Well, it is. It's sometimes just creating the space for them to understand like where we're coming from. Like, don't just, yeah, don't just peg me as this one thing. I am, I am not just, you know, your complimentary woman that's going to be on this panel. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I am as competent as every man that's sitting here and I have a lot of value to add and just like giving them the mindset. Like they, he might not have ever thought of it. Like you said, he seemed like he a did. nice enough guy. Yes, he, he did. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I was like, no, it's all cool. But I want to make sure that my goal here is to give the audience what they are here for. So mm. at this moment, it is a good topic to talk about it, but I don't think we're talking about investing in construction here. So let me talk right. about that. Yeah. It happened point. to me too. I know like all of you have everyone, every one of us, I'm sure has a story sure. like that all the time. It's like, Oh, so you're an Olympian. So you're coaching now. And I'm like, no, I'm not coaching. Oh, so you're a personal trainer then? Like, no, 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 I'm not <laughs> either of those things. I have a finance degree, a master's degree in business. I'm a certified financial planner. I have a real estate license. Like like you didn't ask anything else about me. Like an Olympian doesn't just make a coach. Like I'm actually right? a terrible coach. I could probably make your kids <laughs> run slower. <laughs> I love it, Lauren. How do you, uh, how do you, how do you yourself balance it all? You know, like, what do you, what do you do for yourself? I mean, I'm sure you're still doing stuff physically. Cause I would imagine that's just part of your, 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 your blood, you know, is it vein, the veins, but I mean, what do you keep yourself sane and uh, working with clients, having your own business, doing this side hustle, having a couple of rental prop few rental properties. What, 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 what works for you? Time blocking has been key. Um, that is something that I kept hearing about. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm just busy. This is life. Siri tells me where to go next. It'll all be fine. Um, but really planning ahead for, you know, the things that are important to me. So I spent a lot of time during the holidays writing down, like, how do I want to change my schedule this year? And so I have my workout schedule on Tuesdays. One of the big deals for me is I work out from 12 to 3 or like I have that time blocked. 
So it's like drive time, lunch time, et cetera, plus mm-hmm. workout time. Um, and it was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm taking three hours off in the middle mm-hmm. of the day. Um, and it just felt so wrong, but I'm six weeks in and it's Great. been awesome. I work later on Tuesdays um, so that clients, you know, have an opportunity to get off work and, you know, have later meetings. Um, but I don't need to feel bad about that. And it created a lot of balance and I have like that set of positive endorphins going. Um, so just really deciding like, okay, exercise is important to me. Spending time with my family is important to me. Travel is important to me. Um, in addition to running this company and, um, you know, side hustling as well, because the student loan planning has provided so much expertise and so much, um, experience, even in just talking to various people. So the thing that's different about it from, you know, the way that I work in my business, that this is a one hour consultation. Um, and we really change lives in 60 minutes. And at first I was like, you can't do it like that. I don't really like this job because it's transactional because what I do is very much a long-term relationship with people. You know, I'm trying to learn you. I'm learning about your kids, your dog, you know, uh, Bay and, you know, it's time to get married and all those kinds of things. And as life is happening, we're, we're changing your financial plans. But um, I had to really start and figure out how um, to make that 60 minute moment impact. I knew I could help you with your student loans, but like, what else can I teach you in 60 minutes? Mm. Um, and it's become really, really rewarding work. And it's also helped me figure out how to better even talk to my clients because mm. to create rapport in 60 minutes, um, in addition to learn all your, fi- your financial stuff about student loans and provide you good advice, Um, it's a skill and it's an art and it's something I'm really proud of being able to help people do. Um, oh, I wanted to say earlier too about, Mm. so we talked a lot about refinancing, but we didn't talk a lot about the forgiveness aspect of things. So, uh, yeah, especially if you're wanting to go into real estate, one of the big things that people are always worried about is, you know, how is this debt going to look? If I got 200,000 of debt, how's that going to look on paper for me getting a mortgage or, you know, being able to purchase a property. And so if you are a candidate for student loan forgiveness, um, taxable forgiveness, it's going to be tied to your income. So when I say tied to your income, it's like, okay, I have 200,000 of debt and I make 50K of income. Um, They're going to offer you a payment based on your 50K of income. Because if you were paying based on that 200,000 over 10 years, you'd probably be paying a really big amount on a monthly basis, which would be cost prohibitive. Um, And that's where a lot of people are, is they feel like that's their only option. They don't realize that there's something that's tied to income as long as you have federal loans. So you could Mm -hmm. end up with a, you know, $200 a month payment as an example, Um, And what the the mortgage companies are looking at is your debt to income ratio on a monthly basis. So that $200 payment is part of your debt um, that's on a monthly basis. They're not looking at the the whole 200,000. So these income driven plans can actually help you be able to acquire real estate. Um, But it doesn't mean just go get a really low payment and then go buy all the the real estate you can. Um, (laughs) You want to make sure that you're doing what's responsible, like you said, for the long term and understanding how forgiveness works. So what usually happens is over a 20 or 25 year period, uh, you pay based on your income, whatever's left over of that loan at that time is forgiven but you need to pay taxes on that forgiven amount as if it was earnings in that year. So you need to also be setting aside a little bit of money on a monthly basis in order to have that tax liability saved up and ready to go to give the IRS 25 years from now. Well, yeah. Wow. And that's something that, yeah, you got to plan for, right? Because it's like, you know, one day that's going to happen. Before you find out all the details about our amazing guests from today's episode, we have some very exciting news to share with you. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? On June the 12th, mark your calendars. We are hosting the Real Estate Invest Her Summit, which will be a virtual one-day conference. Exactly. And during the summit, we're going to talk about real estate, business strategies, and also self-care. Why? Because we deserve it. (laughs) We handpicked every single speaker. And I'm telling you, you cannot miss this event. So click on the link below and save your spot. See you there. A lot to this business. So you clearly, you clearly have, you know what you're doing and you're sound like you'd be an amazing resource and you have a podcast as well. Do you want to share with the ladies how they can uh, learn more about you and get in touch with you? Yes. So for student loans, if you just need that 60 minute, get on track so that you can get going with your real estate, you want to go to studentloanplanner.com. And if you are interested in financial planning and long-term relationships and some of the stuff that I was talking about, you can go to worth-winning.com. And last but not least, if you're wanting to listen to the podcast, it's called Worth Listening. Um, And you can find it on at worth-listening.com or by going to all the podcasting apps and just typing in Worth Listening. Awesome. That's awesome. And all this information you guys can find on our show notes. 
Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Lauren, is what's the most, most, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? Most transformational. Oh, yeah. this is a tough one. I would say recently I read Your Money or Your Life, the new version. Um, and I think it was quite a bit more um, exciting than the old, old version. So. Um, and it challenged me to do some things that I hadn't done in my own finances, like go back and find out, um, you know, what your earnings had been over the course of your life. I'm like, how am I going to figure that out? Mm. Um, but doing the hard work of things like that um, is very, very reflective. And it creates a lot of awareness about your finances and your habits. Very cool. And what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? most powerful routine would be to automate my savings. So non-negotiable, uh, when money comes in, uh, 10% goes aside for, you know, I call it giving. So a lot of people do tithing. Um, mine just like 10% does not belong to me. It belongs to somewhere. Um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I put 25% for taxes. Um, and then yeah, savings I'm at 20%, which leaves a very little left over all these other things. But yeah, when you start automating and you put them into the bucket, it's immediately, um, it makes life really, really simple. And it's like, okay, well, this is what I got to work with because I have these other goals and these other things that I'm trying to achieve. Very cool. And the last question is, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Someone who's expired, inspired me. I would say Patrice Washington. So I'm not big on uh, idolizing people or role models and things like that. And in fact, most of my life, I would say I wouldn't have had an answer. Uh, but I've had an opportunity to interact with her multiple times and she's consistently like a glowing personality that is genu genuinely willing to help. Um, and I really love that about her. It's like, it's the kind of person that you're just like, oh, what can I find that I don't like about her? I was like, there's nothing because she is awesome. Like, mm -hmm. and she's empowering women to get together and be intentional about helping one another out. And it's like, she's like the Beyonce of financial planning in my, in opinion, uh, my opinion. Um, and it's been really, really cool. Like just listening to her, um, becoming a follower and, and learning from her about, you know, how to continue to uplift myself and, you know, be confident as a woman in business. Check her out. That's really cool. Yeah, she's amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for adding such great insight into so many different areas and just so cool what you're up to. And I know you're probably adding so much, you know, great stuff to the women and men you're dealing with. So thank you for being on our show and doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me. It was really awesome. I look forward to listening to more episodes. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.